Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Kate Woda, producer of the show. Pharma Talk Radio is a nonprofit program to disseminate helpful information to those in life sciences, and in particular drug development. And this, of course, always includes patient advocacy communities. When I am not working with Pharma Talk Radio, I head up content and direction for Immuno Oncology 360 and Rational Combinations 360 at the Conference Forum. For more information on these events, please visit www.theconferenceforum.org. Today's podcast features a talk previously delivered at the 5th Annual IO360 2018 program by Dr. Simone Fishburne, editor of BioCentry Innovations, on IO industry trends. Dr. Fishburne reported on how companies and academic investigators are driving innovations within IO, including new targets, modalities, and technologies to address some of the field's biggest challenges. It. I should start by saying um, I'm Simone Fishburne. I'm actually, as of recently, executive editor of both Biocentury and Biocentury Innovations, and I'll give you a um, quick intro to those. By training, I am, in fact, a bench scientist, a molecular pharmacologist, so I have to tell you I wake up every day and feel like I need to learn immunology all over again. So, so bear with me and no really hard questions, okay? Um, let's, uh, let's, let's go to the... Oh, wait, I do this myself. Okay. Um, so for those that, you know, hopefully most of you are familiar with us. Um, Biocentury has been around for 25 years. We think of ourselves as an intelligence platform. Um, we have publications. We have conferences. We have a database. And that's going to be relevant, the, the database in particular, for, for some of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, we have two um, primary weekly publications. Um, Biocentury Innovations covers idea to IND, and most of what I'll talk about today is at the innovation end of the spectrum. Um, and Biocentury covers phase one all the way to patient. And the two, the two publications really work hand in hand or hand in glove um, as we look at the, at the spectrum from discovery or from idea all the way to patient and see trends and themes emerging. Today, what I want to talk about is, um, is our focus on targets. I heard a lot of interesting things yesterday morning about targets and how we're using some of the cancer conferences to analyze where the field is going. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the emerging science that we see in immuno-oncology, looking at it both from the perspective of what's being published and uh, what's being presented at conferences, um, and, you know, together with where are investment dollars going? What are the new codes coming out of this? Um, and then to raise some of the challenges and solutions in immuno-oncology in terms of the trends and where they're going. Um, so to start with, I just want to talk about um, targets. Now, we, the word is used a lot, right? BCR, BCIQ is our database. It's an amazing database as it happens. It's got, it's got the science, it's got the deals, it's got financing, it's got clinical data. Um, we use it a lot. I recommend you do as well if you don't already. And we add targets to the database, but, you know, we have a very particular definition for targets. And at Biocentury, we consider not just anything that comes out of a GWAS study as a target. It has to have been, I'm going to summarize these three bullets in, in, in a sentence, that it has to have been interrogated in a disease-relevant situation for us to consider it a target. Um, a simple binding assay isn't enough. 
but a, a series of even in vitro or preclinical um, experiments that really interrogated in a disease-relevant context would make us think at a target. And um, I wouldn't pay too much attention to the fact that the number has risen in the last couple of years that we've added to the database. That might be partly because we're paying increasing attention. But I think it's important to see that we're adding in the region of 400 to 500 new targets a year. And I think the real take-home from this is that when we look at those targets and we analyze them against the number that are in company pipelines, and obviously people don't disclose everything, but 33% of the targets in our database are being pursued commercially, which means 67% aren't. So there's a large number of unexploited targets out there. Now, some of them might not be relevant, some of them might have died, but within that 67%, there's a lot of, of, uh, of, of fertile ground, let's say. Um, what we've done at the conferences in the last couple of years, and this is something that we're getting better and better at, we've used a machine learning algorithm to, starting out, I think our first one was with AACR in 2016, in fact, where we would say we, would, we, we look at the abstracts in, um, in the conference abstracts from AACR, and we analyze them for a number of things. And let's start with targets. And we look for mentions of those targets. And as our machine learning gets better and better, we're able to really evaluate that those targets are being mentioned in a context that is relevant rather than just as an assay readout um, or, or, a, or a, a control signal. And, and it won't be any surprise to, to most of the people in this room to see the list of characters Good old P53 is still up there. But actually, there's still a lot of drug discovery going on with P53. Um, and a lot of these are pretty old targets. So that won't be a surprise to see that um, some of those ones are getting the largest, which ones are getting the largest number of mentions at this, these conferences. Um, what we've done, though, is to start grouping them by mechanism. And this, uh, my colleague Karen uh, Tikach Tuzman did, and I, I, I want to point out for this conference, I mean, these are oncology targets, but for this conference, what you'll see is that while there's a large number in sort of good old proliferation bucket um, and endocrine growth mediators, the number, so if you look, there's immune mediators and a, a little branch off to the side, and, and the larger one, H, is immune cell modulators, and then I, that smaller branch, is uh, immunotherapy antigens. And, and that number of targets in that space is, is really growing, um, and we are going to continue to, f to focus on this. One of the things that's interesting about, or, or I hope will be interesting about the way we're analyzing these uh, targets at the conferences is to do this longitudinally and to start to see what areas are coming up and what areas are going away. And, and on that note, what, what we did is we said, all right, well, we can look at the top targets, but what people that we're talking to, and I actually very much welcome the feedback that you'll give me because you would be the consumers of this, what people really want to know is what are the emerging targets. So to look at emerging targets, we decided that we would consider an emerging target to be one that either was not mentioned one year and was mentioned in four or more abstracts the next year or had one mention and went to four or more the next year. And we also paid attention to whether um, those, those more frequent mentions were coming from multiple groups 
Obviously, one group publishing four abstracts has less impact on or significance than, let's say, four different groups coming up with the target. And, and I'm not going to go through, you'll be delighted to hear that I'm not going to go through all the targets on this list right now. I can certainly um, point you in the direction of this. And in fact, this, um, our, our most recent, this was actually at ASH in 2017. Um, this is actually available um, for, for free download, I believe. Um, so just to point out a couple of things. One is that, for example, track, I think, came out as the um, one with the biggest jump, going from one mention to eight. And um, that is a target that is being considered for optimizing CAR T cells. Um, I th it's a recently, a science paper showed that if you insert a CAR in that track locus, you can reduce the, the TCR background signaling. And so what you'll get is a better efficacy um, through than sort of random CAR insertion. And so track... Um, as a sort of target locus there is becoming quite important. Um, the other thing that I've sort of snuck away here as a third bullet is epigenetics. And the reason is that over that whole conference and looking back, we are seeing a real, I'm going to call it a resurgence of epigenetics. Epigenetics has had a couple of waves. Um, and it was going to be everything, and then it sort of wasn't. And then it was going to be everything again, and then it sort of maybe. So, but what we're really seeing is people starting to make headway with epigenetics, and a, and a large number of new untapped targets as people sort of um, understand how to harness this data um, towards actual um, drug development programs. Um, I want to make this point, which is that until now I've talked about targets. We've already started to see here. We had a really lovely talk yesterday, a great talk on NK cells that I mentioned. We did a piece on NK cells two years ago. And as I listened to yesterday's talk, I thought the field has come so far in two years even. And so it's time for us to do an update. But I think the point here is that um, not only are cell therapies on the rise, which won't, won't surprise anybody in this room, but people are tapping into more and more different kinds of cells. And so I want to point out a few at the... Do I have a pointer here? Maybe not. But at the very low end of the spectrum, gamma T cells and NK T cells, people are actually starting to look at macrophages. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a minute. Um, but, but as I said, we're seeing a, a big focus on people starting to exploit different kinds of cells um, to, towards immunotherapies. And, and uh, just a quick word on uh, the modalities. We looked at modalities. Um, this was at AACR, comparing 2016 to 2017. Um, we do not look at small molecules and proteins, which are obviously the, the vast number of antibodies, which will just be huge. Um, but of the newer modalities, we see a, a, a bump in miRNA. siRNA is up there, of course. And, uh, you know, you can just sort of look across there to see how many different RNA forms are out there. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to track the sort of modalities that people are, are exploiting. Um, I won't go into this in much detail here, but I have two slides just to show how we use this information to... Um, to look at indications. So um, at AACR last year, um, breast cancer was by far the largest um, indication that was mentioned. About a quarter of that was in triple negative, 
which is obviously the area with the greatest need. Um, breast cancer is the largest... Pri I, let, let me put it like this. Breast cancer is also the area that receives more funding than any other area. So, so uh, of, oftentimes the... Uh, the, the research reflects the funding. I, I think that there are some very underserved um, cancers that in addition would be great to see a lot of activity in. It would be nice to see the research end leading this. Quite often what we're seeing is that, uh, for example, ovarian cancer will jump in the preclinical when uh, you know, the, 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 the clinical results start to show a target has, has borne out. And uh, again, looking at ASCO uh, is how we look at the clinical indications, breast cancer still getting a lot. And, you know, it, it's no surprise and it's certainly encouraging to see the amount of activity in lung cancer um, given the progress that's been going on there. But to, to reiterate, our way of thinking about this is as a snapshot of where we are in a single year and hoping to do this longitudinally to see which areas are um, gaining more and more traction and attention and maybe draw light on some of the areas that, that perhaps should, should get a little more. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the targets in particular. Um, so 2015, so three years ago now, we did a story on the new targets after PD-1, the new uh, <coughs> checkpoint targets beyond PD-1. And, and, and what you can see is, and I'll, I'll elaborate on this, in the next few slides, we identified a, a, a number of targets that were starting to come on the radar. Um, it's kind of hard to turn around with this, and I can't see that far. But LAG3, in, in addition to PD1s, of course, LAG3 and TIM and, and, and TIGIT, um, just to name a few. What we've now done is we look, if you, if you move forward three years, how many of those targets are in company pipelines? And I'm going to try and toggle back and forth. That was what it looked like in 2015, and this is what it looks like today. And so that's how we see the field moving. We see, um, you know, large interest in TIM3 and GITR and LAG3. Um, some of them will drop off the radar, and some of them will come back on the radar. But we expect to see this. Um, we hope certainly to see those, those purple preclinical bars move into phase one and phase two. Um, but also to see more, more characters join this. Um, I'm going to go forward because a little low on time, but um, one of the things we've also started to look at is, is, is who's, let's, let's just put it like this, who's getting in the game. And what, we've, what we, did, we did an analysis of corporate venture, corporate VCs, and overall we saw that corporate VCs in the last three years um, had really massively ramped up their um, investments in seed and series A. They're joining the fray in seed and series A financings. And um, that was largely due to, well, I, I wouldn't say it was due to, overall there was obviously a large number of uh, um, cancer indications in there. This is going from 2013 to 2016 of, of cancer companies. Um, but corporate VCs are getting very, very interested as well in immuno-oncology. Um, and I think that that reflects um, 
companies across the spectrum finding different ways to access innovation. Some of it, I think we'll hear later about through public-private partnerships, some of it through their own efforts, but some of it through actually tapping into the innovation that's going on and the discoveries that are going on in the academic sphere, which is where most of the spin-outs are coming from. There's obviously a trend um, towards harnessing both arms of the immune system, the innate immune system and the adaptive immune system. And what we're seeing here is emerging subclasses of cells, as I've talked about. So gamma delta T cells will kill stressed cells, including cancer cells. I'm not going to go into the science behind all of this. Hopefully, you'll tap into some of our publications to see that we drill quite deep into this. But in this audience, I'm not going to tell you about that. But I will tell you about the trends that we're seeing and highlight some of the companies that we see. So gamma delta Therapeutics was formed in 2016 by Abingworth and, um, you know, got a big deal with Takeda a year after that, or within the year, I think, of that. Um, we're seeing myeloid cells. That's an area where we're going to be paying a lot of attention. Um, they have a complex role in the immunosuppressive environment. Karma Therapeutics is finding a way to... Um, turn macrophages into car macrophages, and that's a spin-out from UPenn. Um, and there are a, a, a few other companies that are looking at harnessing macrophages um, to, to deploy therapeutically. Um, other growing classes include NK cells, NKT cells, which are NK cells engineered to express the T cell receptor, Tregs, and I've, I've put up some of the companies there. I can't go through them all. Um, and then just a, a couple of slides to end with some of the biggest th challenges that, um, as an overview that we see, um, obviously for cell therapies, um, you know, expanding into solid tumors is, is the, from an efficacy perspective, the next, um, the next big barrier. Um, we're seeing lots of activity there. Um, safety and efficacy, most people are looking at this by on and off switches. Um, and uh, manufacturing remains a big concern. And um, it's something that uh, has... Andre Chalika is the CEO of Selectus. says, people don't like to talk about it. He said, I had an investor call in December. This was a couple of years ago. And I said, this, this compound has very complex production and the stock fell 12%. So uh, this, is, this is an area that um, is important. We're starting to pay attention to what the innovations are in manufacturing. Um, I did have a slide, but no longer have that on manufacturing, but I can send anyone the story who's interested. Um, and then safety switches, um, switching cells on by inducing car expression um, is, is one approach using either small molecules, antibodies, or peptides. Different companies that are highlighted here will take different strategies. And switching cells off with suicide genes and inhibitory receptors and even transient car expressions are the key strategies that people are looking at. Um, again, short on time, autologous versus allergenic therapies is going to continue to be <coughs> a conversation in this field. Um, several people that talk to us feel that, that, that it can never really become mainstream until we get proper allergenic ways of creating allergenic therapies. I don't know if that's, that's widely shared, but certainly there is an emphasis on, on finding ways to create um, easier manufacturing and allergenic therapies is, is one of them. 
Um, finally, I'm just going to have a, a, a quick couple of, of words on neoantigens, which have been everything. Everything I bring up by essentially they go, oh, that's been around for 20 years. Everything's been around for 20 years, but. Uh, you know, at the same time, neoantigen companies um, have not been around for 20 years, and uh, we're getting a lot of uh, interest and investment in harnessing neoantigens to create new therapies. Um, and what the key challenges in that area are: selecting, uh, finding strategies to select the neoantigens, um, and uh, what what modality people use to deliver. Um, the therapy in. Um, so just to summarize, um, what we're seeing at BioCentury is that new targets are expanding the immuno-oncology space, and they have the potential to give new handles for controlling both efficacy and safety, and to broaden the technology to new tissues. Um, the field is really exploring new cell types to add to the repertoire, and companies are addressing challenges of safety and efficacy with technologies like on and off switches and personalized vaccines, which is where neoantigens will take us, um, based on emerging biology. Um, so just to, to end on the note that, you know, at BioCentury, um, what I've tried to do is to, is to cover the trends that we've seen. Almost everything I've talked about has a story has, has an, a story that we've written behind it in some depth, which obviously is, is from the work that's being done by folks in this room and beyond. Um, we have conferences in, in Bioequity Europe and New York and Shanghai. Um, as, we start, as we really see this being a global enterprise with paying more attention to China, I think everybody is paying more attention to China, um, where we're really seeing a lot of excitement um, and innovation coming out, and that's an area that we want to tap into to see, um, to see how regional differences are playing there. Um, so I'll end here because I'm now over time. Thank you. The annual Immuno-Oncology 360 Conference bridges clinical, scientific, and business developments in I.O. to provide a genuine 360-degree perspective so as a community we can drive faster advancements to eradicate cancer. For more information about the event, visit www.io360summit.com. Thanks for listening.